The Family Smoking Prevention and Tobacco Control Act, signed in 2009, opened the door for the FDA to set standards for the amount of nicotine that cigarettes can contain. Now new research shows that smokers who switch to low nicotine cigarettes end up smoking fewer cigarettes and are more likely to try to quit. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Michael Fiore, Director of the University of Wisconsin Center for Tobacco Research and Intervention. Dr. Fiore has co-authored a perspective article on the potential for reduced nicotine cigarettes to help lessen the harms associated with tobacco use. Dr. Fiore, you write in your article that Benowitz and Henningfield first proposed reducing the amount of nicotine in cigarettes in 1994, and that by 1998 there was considerable research supporting nicotine reduction as a strategy. So why did it take Congress so long to address the issue? Well, the legislation that gave the FDA the capacity to regulate tobacco use is a very comprehensive bill that addresses reducing nicotine, but also addresses other issues, including advertising of cigarettes, the development of new products. It's a comprehensive effort to reduce tobacco use in America and to give the FDA the authority to regulate what is the only product that's available in America that, when used as directed, actually kills half of the people that engage in it long term. Why did Congress delay until 2009? I think it probably was a result of a lot of factors, including political ones, but also I think it's taken some time for the American public to realize that we no longer need to tolerate a half a million Americans dying every year. And that's what the toll of tobacco is. It's the leading preventable cause of death in America, responsible for one out of every five deaths. By 2009, both the public and Congress decided that it's time to regulate tobacco. And in the years since that 2009 law was signed, has the FDA taken any steps to reduce nicotine content or signaled that it might do so? Well, as you mentioned earlier, as part of the 2009 legislation, the FDA has the capacity to reduce but not eliminate nicotine in cigarettes. What the legislation says is that it can, in fact, reduce the level of nicotine down to one where cigarettes are non-addictive, a really important criteria. What the legislation mandates is that the FDA make its regulatory decisions based on sound science and sound science that addresses the harms of tobacco both at the individual and at the population level. What's so important about this week's New England Journal of Medicine Donnie article is it's the first one to show that if we reduce the nicotine content of cigarettes, we take very important steps to get people off tobacco and to reduce their addictiveness. Assuming the FDA does act, what are the challenges to using low-nicotine cigarettes to encourage people to reduce tobacco consumption? There are clearly some concerns that need to be addressed, and the good news is that the Donnie article has addressed many of those in, I would say, very persuasive ways. The first concern is that if you reduce the nicotine content of cigarettes, that people will just compensate for that. They'll take more puffs. They'll hold those puffs in longer, 
and in essence, they'll do the exact opposite of what the goal is. They'll take in more of the burnt tar toxicants of tobacco smoke. The good news from Donnie and other research is that people, when given low nicotine cigarettes, do not compensate in this way. So that's the first concern and one for which we now have evidence against. The second is that individuals may transition to another device to get their nicotine. For example, if people found smoking a cigarette did not deliver their dose of nicotine, they might be likely to buy nicotine gum or lozenges or use the nicotine patch. They might also use another nicotine delivery product such as smokeless tobacco or electronic cigarettes. This then raises an important issue, and that is the whole issue of continuum of risk. What we do know is that people do not smoke cigarettes without enough nicotine in them. So by reducing the nicotine content of cigarettes, in essence, we have a mechanism to prevent kids from becoming addicted to tobacco and a mechanism to help currently addicted smokers to wean off these products. A famous researcher from the 1970s and 80s, Michael Russell, was the individual who first made a very astute observation, and that is that people smoke for the nicotine, but they die from the tar. Thus, if we removed nicotine from cigarettes, we have the potential of preventing people from using them because they're not going to get that dose of nicotine that leads them to smoke, and thus they won't ingest the tar that kills them. You write in your article that a successful nicotine reduction policy would have to include all types of combustible tobacco, not just cigarettes. How optimistic are you that regulation would cover that degree of products? It's within the purview of the FDA to have a broad combustible tobacco policy, and that's really what this is all about. It's a recognition that the type of tobacco that is most deadly is combusted tobacco. It is the burning of tobacco that produces the tar, that produces the 5,000 chemicals, more than 50 of which are carcinogens. So by instituting an FDA policy that strongly discourages combustible tobacco use, we're going to go a long way towards preventing the harms from tobacco in America. When we think about the fact that there are currently 40 million Americans who smoke combustible tobacco, that half of them are going to be killed by their dependence upon combustible tobacco if they don't successfully quit. A policy such as this one truly has the potential to prevent more than 20 million deaths. And for that reason, I think it is incumbent upon the FDA and all of us as a society to think about ways that we can help individuals addicted to combustible tobacco use to get off those products. And as importantly, to ensure that those products, if sold, do not lead young people who experiment with them to become dependent upon them. Finally, in the absence of new FDA regulations on nicotine levels, 
Should individual physicians try to make low nicotine cigarettes part of the quitting plans that they develop with their patients? I would not recommend that, in fact, because first, we currently don't have low nicotine cigarettes available in a way that was done in the article that's part of this week's New England Journal of Medicine. In fact, that's what the tobacco industry supposedly did in the 80s when they released low-tar, low-nicotine cigarettes. The problem with those products are that individuals can compensate, that they have design features that in fact deliver higher levels of nicotine and in that way perpetuate dependence. What I would instead urge physicians who are guiding their patients is to recognize that it's the burning of tobacco that kills you. So you do not want to use burnt tobaccos, whether they be cigarettes, little cigars, hookahs, or any other burning process. Instead, what, as a physician, I urge my patients to do is to stay away from all burnt tobacco. Our goal is to be free of tobacco in all of its forms, but if, as an effort to do that, consider using nicotine delivered by other mechanisms, including the -the over-the-counter nicotine replacement products that are available and can provide nicotine and deal as a transition agent as people break free of tobacco dependence, and in particular, break free of dependence upon deadly combustible tobacco use. Thank you, Dr. Fiore.